whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower? Now notice he's not talking about building a tower. He's talking about being a disciple. The tower is just the example. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and count counteth the cost whether he has sufficient to finish it in other words the Lord is saying this I've called you I've anointed you I'm sending you but you're going to have to sit down and count the cost are you going to finish the work that God is sending you to go forth and do would you pray with me this morning Father I pray in the name of the Lord I loose the anointing the authority and the spirit I lose your power, I lose your will, I lose your truth, I lose your anointing. Touch every man, woman, and child that's in this place. Touch our Sunday school rooms. Anoint the teachers. Touch our kids. But let the will of the Lord be done in this generation. We magnify you. We lift you up. We praise you. We give you honor. And we worship you in Jesus' name. You may be seated. I'm going to read one more scripture in Philippians 3 and 13. Before I do, I want to say, I don't know, I, if you were here Wednesday night, I talked about some things that are happening in the world, but one of the things that I mentioned was that prayer revival that's happening in Asbury, uh, Kentucky. And I saw a picture this week of a crowd of people lined up, stretching for a pretty long time, as people waited in line to get into, this, into that sanctuary to, to be a part of the prayer meeting. Some were waiting in line for seven hours. As the rain was falling and it really stirred me because I thought you know what people truly are hungry for God they just don't know what to do they just don't know what to do but I do pray for these people because they're starting a walk they're starting a journey much like you and I and the question is are they going to are they going to count the cost and go after the things of God and I think that's the question for all of us in Philippians 3 and 13, the Bible says, Brother, I count not myself to app apprehended, but this one thing, forgetting those things which are behind. Because, boy, do they stop the things of God in our life. And reaching forth unto the things which are before, going after the promises of God, going after the callings of God, going after the things that God has called us to be a part of Philippians 3.14, I press towards the mark. There has to be a pressing. There has to be a commitment. There has to be, this is being done on purpose. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ of God in Jesus Christ. I want to preach to you this morning, continuing this theme, pressing towards the promise, excuse me, pressing towards and possessing the promises. How many want the promises of God in their life? How many want to possess them? You know, it's good to have, be in a service where things are prophesied over and, and minister under the Holy Ghost says such and such is going to happen. I, we rejoice in all of those things. But I, I don't, you probably feel the same way as I. At some point, I want to go beyond that and I want to actually possess it. It's good to hear about the land flowing with milk and honey, but there comes a point where I want to actually put my feet on that land. I want to stand in the land. So I'm thankful for the promise of God, but I don't want to just have the promise of God as in some future tense, but I want to possess the promises. And I'm going to tell you, God wants you to possess the promises. This is what this generation is called to do. Go beyond the previous generation. I'm thankful for what happened in yesterday's generation, but God has called this generation to go a little bit farther, a little bit deeper, deeper to possess more than what has been possessed in previous generations. So five weeks ago, I began to speak to you about uh, the life of Joshua. The Lord has really been speaking to me through this book. I, uh, I, I used the longest title that I think I've ever used, Breaking Through Satan's Attempts to Stop the Promises of God. It's a long title. <laughs> but when you have a long message, you need a long title. It just all goes together, right? <laughs> but the entire book of Joshua is about Joshua, under the direction of God, 
leading the children of Israel into the promises of God. So it's an incredible book. Going from the wilderness into the promised land. Possessing the land and taking everything that the Lord said they could have. Grabbing it, possessing it. It belongs to us, so let's grab it. I want you to realize this morning that you have been given over 3,000 promises in the Word of God. 3,000. They're written for you. They're, 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 they've been penned down on the eternal scrolls of heaven. And they've been handed from one generation to the next until they landed in your, the lap of your life. And God is saying to you, don't just read about my promises. I want you to possess them. I want you to take them. I want you to understand they belong to you. I've given them to my children. I've given them to my church. And they're not to sit dormant somewhere on a shelf. They're to be possessed. Grab a hold on and say, I'm going in to the land that God promised me. I'm not going to stay in this wilderness any longer I'm going forward and I'm going to take a hold of the promises of God I'm going to tell you my friend my title's pastor but what I really am is an advocate an advocate for you to go into the promised land I'm trying to convince you you can have it because God said it. I want to convince you God is not going to. He's not going to turn his back on you. He's not going to leave you in the valley of the shadow of death. He's not going to just look at the valley of the dry bones and say, sorry, there's nothing I can do. No, no. He's, he's right there next to you saying, oh, can these bones live? If they can, then why don't you prophesy to them? Why don't you speak the promises over them? Why don't you let the Spirit of God move in your situation. I want you to know I'm an advocate telling you God can do it. God will do it. You just got to stand up and possess it and believe that if God is for you, then nothing else matters. You're going to take it. You're going to have it because God will never fail and God does not lie and God does not go back on his promises. And I'm going to say that trumps no matter what your experiences have told you. So many of us look at our experience and say, well, God, if God's promises are true, then why did this or this or that? And I'm going to tell you, as long as your experiences trump the word of God, you're going to be stuck in your wilderness. The word of God trumps everything. If God said it, but it's not lining up with my life, then there's something wrong with my life because I need to get it aligned with God's promises because God cannot lie. He will not lie, and his promises are for you and for me. Oh, Satan, he tries his best to put roadblocks everywhere that we're trying to go. He, he, he puts stumbling blocks in your, in, your, in your life to trip you up. He attacks you. He he puts fear around you. He, he puts things in your life that will try to destroy your faith because he fears the man or the woman that possesses the promise. Because when we possess the promise, that means all of his authority and his dominion and his power and his ways gets diminished and gets pushed out of the land. So he fears it. But I want to remind you this morning that no weapon formed against the church is going to prosper. It does not matter what Satan does or doesn't do. If you're aligned with God, then the weapon that the devil uses will not, will not have victory. Because if the Lord truly promised it, and if the Lord truly said you can have it, then you simply just need to believe that God is not a liar. He is, he is telling us the truth that if he said it, then we can have it, we can possess it, we can grab a hold of it. And that is what God intends this generation to do. In fact, that's what God intends Apostolic Worship Center to do. To grab a hold of the 3,000 promises in the word of God and say I'm going to walk into them and I'm going to possess them because I'm tired of wandering around in the wilderness and never truly possessing what God said I can have. <laughs> now I want to show you an incredible contrast. In Numbers 13, this was back right after they came out of the land of Egypt and Moses took 12 spies and he sent them into the promised land. Now, 10 of those 12 spies were so afraid. They were afraid because they feared the giants and they feared the sons of Achan. They looked at their own inadequacies and their own inabilities and 
they begin to speak, it's impossible to take the land. So they began to speak contrary to what God was saying. Because they were focused on themselves and their strength and their abilities and not the promise of God. And I'm going to tell you, every time you're focused on what you have or you can do or you have done, I'm going to tell you, you're always going to be small. It's always going to seem impossible. But 40 years later, the contrast is this. In the book of Joshua, it's the same enemy. It's the same Israel. It's the same promise. But there's a, there's a totally different, uh, a stark difference, a different attitude. There was a new generation that rose up in Israel. And they were determined to take the promises of God. There was not a question. It was ingrained in them. If God promised it, then it's ours. If God said we can have it, then we're going to possess it. There was no question about it. There was no talk about the giants. There was no talk about the sons of Achan. Oh, they were all still there. But there was no fear because there was no doubt. They stood on the promises of God. And so 40 years, this, this generation has heard about a land flowing with milk and honey. A land that God gave to Abraham. A land that you're going to possess. For 40 years they heard it. And so an entire generation made up their mind. We're going to take the land. We're going into the land. We're going to literally step our feet across the Jordan. Onto the land that God gave us. And we're going to live the life that right now in the wilderness we're only prophesying about. You see, they just believed. That's the difference between this generation. They just trusted in the promises of God. In Joshua chapter 2, Rahab, I'm going to mention her shortly, but she makes a statement to the two spies that go on in this next generation. And she tells the two spies this, that terror has filled the hearts of the people in Jericho. And everyone in the city is demoralized. <laughs> they heard Israel had crossed the Jordan. They locked up their city gate tight. No one in, no one out. Rahab says that all of the hearts of the men have melted. There was no more courage in the men in Jericho. And she tells the spies, because of you. She hears the contrast. When you're focused on the problems or your own inadequacies, you're going to be so afraid that you'll never be able to possess anything God has promised you. But when the mind is made up, that's not about me at all. God just simply promised it, so I'm going to believe and I'm going to hold on to it. Then the fear goes from the people of God <laughs> to the enemy of God. In Numbers, Israel was so afraid. In Joshua, it was, the, it, was the, it was the enemy that was so afraid. Neither circumstance had, was different at all. The only difference was that the people in Joshua's generation made up their mind, were simply going to believe the promises of God. That's it. I wonder what would happen to this generation if we would just believe God's promises. If we would just stop trying to analyze everything and figure everything out and, and allow our whys to crush our faith and wonder why, why is it happening here or why is it happening for this person? Why is it not happening for me? And just simply say, you know what? God, I'm thankful you're blessing these people and that person. But I also know the promises for me and I know you're going to do it. So while I'm in my situation of brokenness and hurting and pain, I'm going to rejoice because I know the promises for me as well. And there's nothing that that Satan can do to stop the promises of God from coming to pass. I'm going to hold on until you bring me through. I'm going to tell you it could transform us. Because what I watch is God has called us to a marathon. And we've got a lot of people in our generation that run sprints. They'll run the 100-yard dash and then they sit on the sideline until they get inspired again. And then they'll run the 100-yard dash. And God is saying, where are the marathon runners? The ones that are going to go possess it and never look back. You know, it's not going to be easy. You're going to have to count the cost. But I'm going to tell you, God has given you the promises of victory 
before you even start the battle. We got to take our focus on what we can or can't do, and we've got to put our promises or our faith in the promises of God. Because when we look at ourselves or we look at our problem or we look at what's happened yesterday, fear comes in our life and it paralyzes it, doesn't it? The questions, the, it bombards the emotions. But when you simply stand on the Word of God and you just let everything just fade away, except for the promise of God, there becomes a stark difference in the life of an individual. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know why it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know any of the details. All I just know God's going to do it. <laughs> I'm a living example of what God can do in the life of an individual. Somebody that is not perfect, has a lot of mistakes, but yet just trusts God. I promise you, my friend, I've seen more victories by trusting God than I've ever seen by trying to do it myself. There's something about just getting in God's presence and saying, all right, God, I just believe you. You know, the Bible says Abraham was the father of the faithful and he was called righteous simply because he believed God. That's it. There was no other qualification. He just simply believed God. I wonder, I wonder about you and I. You see, when we get the revelation that it's not about us, and this is the problem with our generation, everything's about us. I take selfies. I, 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 I care about if God's going to bless me today. I want to know if God's going to give me the miracle. It's all about us. It's all self-contained. And God is trying to say, get your eyes off yourself and get your eyes on me. Because when you look up, instead of looking in the mirror all the time and trying to uh, look at all the inadequacies or, or the lack in your life, you're never going to have enough and you're never going to be enough. But when you get your eyes on heaven and you begin to manifest your eyes and the glory of God, all of a sudden you realize it's not about me, it's about him. And if he promised it, then he is well capable of delivering what he promised. <laughs> all we have to do is simply step out in faith when God says, go possess it. Go possess it. Come on, Peter, step out of that boat. Come to me. Stand on the promises of God. You see, it's when we step out of the boat and we make that leap of faith, that fear or the spirit of fear that's been attacking us will shift and go back to the enemy. <laughs> All of a sudden, the enemy is scared to death. What's, what are they going to do? What's going on? Why are they stepping out of the boat? Why are, they, why are they taking up their sword? And the heart of the enemy will begin to be melted away. By a child of God that just puts confidence in the Lord. Not an emotion. I'm going to tell you, your emotion is going to ebb and flow. There's going to be days you feel tingly and anointed and, you know, you're like the giant of faith. And there's going to be days where you feel like a lack, like nothing. You don't have it in you to even pray the simplest of prayer. It's not emotion. It's the Word of God. I stand on the Word, not how I feel. If God says it, then God's going to do it, and that's that. It doesn't matter how I feel. I feel like God's people have remained trapped in fear for way too long. We come to the brink of the Jordan, just like the first generation that was going to go to the promise. And, and then we stand there, and we have all these what-ifs. Well, what if this happens, or this happens, or this? All these, our imagination starts playing uh, Tricks on our mind. Well, well, you know, I don't know if it's a good idea to cross the Jordan. I, there's giants over there. I don't know if we can beat the giants, you know. Maybe we should just wait for God to wipe them all out before we go. You know, God could do all these things. Why didn't he just let, you know, send an asteroid and just destroy them all real quick? Then I'll go. All of these. And the Bible says it's the imagination that builds up strongholds in our life. The imagination that keeps us from fulfilling the purpose and calling of God. I want to ask you this morning, and I felt this strong in prayer. What are the giants in your life that have kept you from going into the promises of God and possessing them? We all, we all like to at first say, oh, I don't have any giants. Come on, pastor. And why do things keep showing up in your life over and over and over again? 
Why are we not in the possession of God? We've heard it long enough. It's been preached. This is not a revelation of what I'm telling you this morning. So what are the giants in this generation that keep us from going back? Just made a small list of things that I thought of. There could be other things. There's a lot of people that have a giant of addictions in their life. It's come in many forms. Addictions, they keep going back to the same thing that they told God they would give up. How about anger, an explosion of anger? You hold it in as long as you can until you just explode. You tell God you won't do it again, and yet you find yourself doing it over and over again. How about past hurts? That it seems like you've overcome them, and then they raise their ugly head, and you're right back to where you were at the beginning. All the emotions, all the hurts, all the pains. What about the bitterness that continually consumes the heart and the emotions, and you try so hard, but it just rises back up? What about alcoholism? You don't want to keep going back to the bottle, but you just can't stop. You know, this is a big one in this generation. What about sexual addictions? Pornography. What, what kind of giant is this in a generation that promotes this everywhere? What about hate? We don't want to think of hating people, but we got so much you know, stuff and emotions in our heart against that certain person. That when they walk in the room, it really is hate. What about shame and guilt? You try to get back up, but you just feel so guilty. You feel so much shame. What about depression? I heard a whole hour-long thing about depression yesterday at a minister's conference because it's so prevalent in this generation. What about depression? You get the joy of the Lord. You get a temporary victory, and you seem to have it, and then you're right back to where you started, in your bed, not, not even wanting to get out, just so depressed. What about control? Oh, i got to control everything. i gotta, I got to know why it's happening, why it's happening. I have a hard time because I need total control. I need to know why God's doing all this, that, and the other. Here's a big one, disappointment. Has God ever left you down? In the back of your mind, you, you try not to judge God, but you don't understand why God let you down. Fear and anxiety. Worried about all the things in the world. All the things that come into your life. You see, it's these things and many other that keep you from going into the promises of God. They keep you bound. They, they imprison you. They imprison your thoughts and they consume your emotions. They, they even take a toll on your health. But more than that, they keep you from living the life that God has called you to live. I want you to know, God, He promised you freedom and you can have freedom. You do not have to be constantly bound by these giants as they roar one more time in your life. God's will is for you to possess the promises and go across the Jordan not to be bound in fear only always talking about what someday God is going to do God told me that some of you have fought these giants many times you get temporary victory then fear gets a hold of you weakness and securities you throw your soar down and you flee just like the first generation of Israel did and you find yourself stuck over here in the wilderness of life instead of in the promises of God and people live their life like this every once in a while going back to the brink of the Jordan but always living their life really on the outside of the promises of God. <clears throat> but it doesn't have to be that way. I don't think you want it that way any more than I want it that way. And I want you to know this morning, God surely doesn't want that for you. The first thing we have to deal with is circumcision in our heart and our minds. We've got to Turn from sin. Have to. That's what I preached about five weeks ago. 
And you can go back and get that message and listen to it. But we need to get rid of sin and any weight that holds us back. There's some things that are not necessarily sin, but they're weights, and they just keep you back from the promise of God. It's time to put your faith in God. Truly put your faith in God. Because I think most of the time we say, okay, God, I'm going to put my faith in you. And we've got one foot like kind of in the ether, you know, of God's promises and God's faith. But we keep that other foot where we can control it, you know, our strength, our understanding, our abilities. We don't really step into that place of faith. We just stand trying to have both. But I would say in this generation, it's time to just step, step off that that cliff of fear that you have held you back. And this might be because you failed in the past and you're afraid, oh, I'll fail one more time. Or this might be because you feel like God's failed you and he's going to, maybe God will fail. It may be all of these things. It doesn't, I don't know what it is for you. All I know is there's things stopping you from truly stepping out in faith. But I would say just step out anyway because you have nothing to lose. I would rather you go try to possess the land and have disappointments of AI than for you to always live in the wilderness where you're kind of safe, but you're never truly having or possessing what God wants for you. I want to remind you, the Lord has never failed and he never will. <laughs> Don't think that you're special enough that he's going to fail in your life. You know, David made an interesting um, observation when he was fighting his giant. In 1 Samuel 17 and 47, he said this, why he was out there fighting the giant. And he said this to Goliath. He said, and all of Israel shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. <laughs> you know, it's one thing to say that safe from a pulpit like me right now. I'm safe. There's nothing going to hurt me if I'm from right or wrong by saying the battle. But it's another thing when you're standing out there facing the giant and saying, giant, I came out here to fight you to prove to those people hiding behind the rocks that the battle belongs to the Lord. But that's what he was saying. In other words, I know I'm nothing. I'm small. I'm inadequate. You're a giant, a man of war. I've never been to battle before. But I've come out here because the battle's not mine. It's God's. And I'm trying to show all these men of war that are so afraid because they're counting the cost with the sword and spears that the battle truly belongs to God. It's not us. It's God. <laughs> See, the question never is how big's the giant. Because as you begin to describe the giant, he just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. It's like the fish that you caught. You know, you caught that crappie. <laughs> Did you see the fish I caught? The story gets bigger, doesn't it? And as you look at the giant, you begin to describe what he's doing in your life and how he's attacking you. All of a sudden, the stronghold gets stronger and stronger, and the giant gets bigger and bigger. But I'm going to tell you this. If you would put your, pro if your, your faith in God and his promises, and you begin to put all your energy and your focuses on what God promised and what God said, and take those 3,000 promises and stand on them in prayer and fasting, and, on the, and just by believing the word of God, God is going to do something in your life uh, that's bigger than any giant uh, that's coming against you and that is a promise I'm telling you my friend the Lord will fight for those that step out in faith I promise you he will Proverbs 91 and 14 because he has set his love upon me therefore I will deliver him you know one time I stood on that promise for months it might have been a year every day I just prayed the promise until it came to pass James 4 and 7 submit yourself therefore to God resist the devil and he will flee from you oh the devil's gonna fight but I'm coming unto God and there's gonna come a moment when he has to flee from me John 10 and 10, the thief come not but to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Oh, God, I don't feel that abundant life. I don't feel the victory. I don't feel it, God. But I'm going to come in the prayer and I'm going to say, God, I'm feeling what the enemy's doing. But I'm standing on what you said I can have. I lose that abundant life in my life right now. And I'm going to come like the widow woman until it comes to pass in my life life 
This generation has many promises laying dormant. Promises that God wants to give. The promises that God promised. But they don't possess. I want to tell a story. I thought this was pretty incredible. You guys might remember Ethan that came to, has come to church in the past. Curtis's friend that he lives about an hour and a half away, so he's not always able to be here. But he wanted to be baptized in the name of Jesus. So Thursday night we came up here and Curtis filled the baptistry tank and his wife came and his children and we baptized him in the name of Jesus. It was such an incredible experience. I'm so thankful for that. Pray that God leads him to an apostolic church closer. <coughs> but he told me this story about his, his grandfather. He said his grandfather, he's a cattle man. He, he has cattle and lives out in the country. And he said, Curtis... Excuse me. He said that Curtis <laughs> came to him, and I might get the details wrong, Curtis, so you can go to Curtis for correction. I always get the gist. I never get the details right up here. <laughs> That's we're talking about the Bible stories. Um, but Curtis went to him in prayer, or went to him at work after prayer, and Curtis said, come to the effect. The time of God's blessings at hand, and God's going to do it now in your life. Well, his grandfather had just passed away. And in his grandfather's will, um, Ethan was going to have to buy the cattle. He wanted them. <clears throat> I don't know what's happening. <clears throat> okay, thank you. <clears throat> Frog in my throat this morning. But uh, Ethan looks at Curtis and says... <laughs> But this is not that, Curtis. I have to buy the cattle. How can this be the promise? And he told me that Curtis just smiled at him, kind of patted him. <laughs> You'll see. God's going to do it. So Ethan goes to the bank. He gets a loan because cattle are not cheap. Has the loan, has the check. And he goes to, I believe it was his father was one that was overseeing the will. And he said, Dad, I got the check for the cattle. Here it is. And his dad said, um, I don't want the check. The cattle is yours. And he said, what do you mean the cattle is mine? I thought I had to buy the cattle. And he said, no, your grandfather put in the will that you had to try to buy the cattle. But if you tried to buy the cattle, it was going to be given to you. Your grandfather just wanted to see that you were interested in it. And I couldn't but really think about that all week. Isn't that kind of how God is? God's got promises in his word, in his will. But they're not just going to be thrown on your lap. They're going to be things that if you get interested and you start counting the cost and you want them and you start going after them, God is going to say, you know, I'm so glad that you were willing to make those steps of faith, but I'm not interested in what you're going to give me. Here, you can have it. And that is just so powerful. And in Joshua 1 and 2 that we read, this is what the Lord told, Moses, or told Joshua. My Mo, my, excuse me, Moses, my servant is dead. So get up and go over Jordan. All the people of Israel, because this is the land which I do give them. Now I want to show you something really, really that just jumped out at me. Verse 6, we're not going to read it all, but, but verse 6. Be strong and of good courage. Verse 7, only be thou strong and of good courage. Verse 9, have I not commanded thee, be strong and good courage. Be not afraid or dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee wheresoever thou goest. So the Lord is saying, I've given you the land. It's yours. Go possess it. But you're going to need some strength and courage. To possess what God's given you. If you're going to possess the promise of God, you must reject fear and anxiety and all the what ifs. And you must instead be strong and you better be courageous and you better go after it. You better go to that bank and ask for the loan and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a hold of the promises of God in my life. In other words, that, that word strong means be determined. And determined means 
unstoppable. It doesn't matter what gets put in your path. It doesn't matter the setback. It doesn't matter the trials. It doesn't matter what's coming against you. All that's irrelevant. God has said we can have it, so we're going to possess it. Be strong. Be strong. Ready and willing to fight. Because the battle is the Lord's. But you must run to the battle to fight. It almost seems like a contradiction, but it's not. Because you would be destroyed. But you must go. But the Lord will fight for you. You see, you must be confident enough in the promise of God that you're willing to fight for it. No, I'm fighting for it. I don't care what it looks like. I'm going after it. I'm fighting for it. I'm doing it. Because God's promises are more real than the problems. They're more real than the giant. They're more real than whatever is happening around me. I know what I feel. I know the doubts I'm thinking. But I'm casting all those things aside. And I'm going to hold, like David said, I'm going to hide the words in my heart, the promises of God. And I'm going to go after them. And the Lord is going to fight with me or fight for me. You see, Joshua possessed the promise. And he went across the Jordan. He prepared the people. He was ready for battle. He had the swords. He had uh, the, the military men. He had everything that he knew to do. But there was still this massive problem. <laughs> problem. <laughs> And the problem is this. There was an unmountable wall that he was going to have to somehow penetrate and had no idea how he would do it. Now, isn't that like God? You're going to take the law, you're going to take the land, you're going to go, you're going to possess it. But what the Lord didn't tell Joshua is there's this large, huge, massive wall that is impossible for you to to destroy or go over or go around. But it seemed not to bother Joshua like it would you or I. I mean, Joshua was so consumed by the promise that in Joshua 5, if you read it, he went to the wall and he was just looking at it. I don't know. I, I picture it at night. It doesn't say night, but I just picture him at night. Looking at this massive wall. Thinking, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but this wall's coming down. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I've got a promise of God. And all of a sudden, there appeared a man with a sword. Now, when I read the context of Scripture, I think Joshua understood it was supernatural, but I don't think he understood what it was. But he asked the question, are you for me or are you against me? Because if it was just a man and the sword, he wouldn't ask that question. Obviously, it's the enemy with the sword in his hand. And if it was someone out of Israel, he would have known it's for him. So I think by reading between the lines that Joshua understood this was supernatural and this went beyond the natural realm. But nevertheless, there was a man with a sword and he asked this question, are you for me or are you against me? Because what was in Joshua was this, there's nothing going to stop me from possessing the promises of God. And if you're for me, then join me. But if you're against me, I'm going to take you out because I've got the promises of God. And for 40 years, I've wandered in the desert and I'm not about to go back to the desert I'm going forward no matter the walls no matter the enemy no matter the circumstances no matter the spirits I'm going forward because God said I can have it I can have it I can have it I love that spirit of Joshua fire in his eyes I picture him as he's looking at the man with the fire with the sword Joshua 5 and 14, he learns, nay, but as the captain of the Lord of hosts, this is the theophany. This was the Lord manifest as an angel holding a sword. But as the captain, this is a general, we don't use the word captain very much, but this is like a, the, the top guy, the captain of the host of the Lord. Am I now come? And Joshua fell on his face and did worship and said, what saith? My Lord unto his servant, and the captain of the host said unto Joshua, Loose your shoes from off your feet, for the place where thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. 
I'm going to tell you, when you have a promise of God, the next thing you better do is you better go and get in the presence of God where God can speak to you. Joshua had the promise, but he needed a word. Because you can have a, you can have a promise and still be in an impossible situation. You can have a promise and still have an internal a wall that's so massive you, you, you don't know what you're going to do. You can have a circumstance in your life that seems like it's going to never change. And so what you better do is you better get in the presence of God where you know you're in his presence. And you got to literally loose your shoes and fall on your face because you're standing on holy ground. And get a word from God. I've got a promise from God, but now I need detail. I need God to show me what to do, how to do it, and, and when to do it. I need God to give me a plan <laughs> and so <laughs> the plan that the Lord gives them doesn't make any sense on paper of all the military colleges that are going on in the world today none of them go to Joshua uh, chapter 6 and take that plan Putin is not saying to his captains just march around Ukraine seven times <laughs> it was a ridiculous plan Let's just be honest. Because the fullest things of God are, are wiser than the wisdom of men. So God says, I choose the fullestness of humanity to confound the wise. I mean, all of Israel and all of Jericho were saying, what are they doing? We're going to walk around the walls for six days, each one time each day. And there's going to be seven priests holding a trumpet, blowing the trumpets. And the Ark of the Covenant is going to be following. And they're going to be blowing the ram's horn, the shafar. And they're going to, uh, everyone else is going to be silent in the land until they blow the trumpets. Now, I'm not going to preach on this, but I'm going to throw you throw out something that's pretty cool. Compare that to Revelations when John says, and there's silence in heaven. And then there were seven trumpets that were blown. Maybe, just maybe, there's more to every story and to every meaning than meets the eye when we first read it. Maybe God is multidimensional and deeper than we first see. And maybe, just maybe, God does things that seem foolishness on the outside, but are full of deep, profound meaning when we really get a hold of what they truly are saying to us. <laughs> on the seventh day of the seventh time, I love what Joshua said. Now listen, nothing's happened yet. The walls have not come down yet. They have just completed what God told Joshua to do. They've walked around the city one time for six days. And the seventh day, they have walked around it seventh day. And the, the shofar are blowing. The trumpets are blowing. And Joshua makes this statement before anything happens. In Joshua 6 and 16, shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. Boom, the walls fall down. It's so powerful. Because Joshua never doubted it. He never questioned it. He never looked at the walls and said, I don't see anything happening. He just simply said, if God told me to walk and do this and do this and do that, when I'm finally done doing what God told me to do, then the rest is up to God and we're going to shout because God has given us the land. <laughs> Boy, give me some of that kind of faith, Joshua. Immediately the walls fell down flat. You know, the worst place, I'm going to throw this, I, I'm going to have to skip some of my notes. I always have too many. I'll pick it up next week. That's why God delays the rapture so I can get through a, uh, one message. <laughs> You know what the most dangerous place to be in Jericho that day would have been? On the walls. You know where the safest place to have been on Jericho that day if you were a Canaanite? On the wall in Rahab's house. Think about that contradiction. Rahab, a prostitute far from the Lord, a Canaanite, she really had no hope. She was going to be destroyed. And yet she tells the spies, I've heard of the God of Israel. And quote, for the Lord your God, he is, he is God of heaven above and in the earth 
below. Somehow she understood there was one true God and he was in the land of Israel and she wanted to get to know him. And in that process, she was given a way to be saved and we won't go into it, but I'm going to tell you this. She represents the Gentile church. You and I, we were nothing. We were outside of God. We were disconnected, but God has called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Hallelujah. And there is a process of transformation that had to take place in Rahab's life to go from brokenness and, and, and an enemy from God to being in the genealogy of Christ, possessing the promises. Now, I might talk about that more later. I might not. I don't know, but I'm going to skip some of this. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to this last part. Here's what the Lord told me. I said all of that for this last part, which I'm just going to take a few minutes here. The process of possessing the promises. It starts in the heart. I'm going to tell you right now, it starts in the heart. And it begins at an altar. You know, preachers spend so much time just trying to get people in the seats of the sanctuary to come to an altar and just start the journey. Because so many people are sitting in, the, in, in a pew or in a seat and they're, they're not convinced. They're like King uh, Agrippa, you know, almost out persuaded for me. But I think I'm going to sit here and then just go out to eat somewhere. And so preachers spend a lot of time just trying to get people to an altar. Start the process. Begin the process. Come to an altar. Lay your life down. Repent of your sins. Be baptized in the name of Jesus. Get full of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking other tongues. This is the process that begins the journey. This is what starts us on our walk with Christ. This is what makes us born again or a babe in Christ. You see, we spend all this time, but my friend, God wants to take us from that to possessing the promises. But you've got to continue the journey and do not stop. Because it gets hard. I'm going to just go through something real fast. You must get honest with yourself and the Lord. You must get honest with the Lord and with yourself. You must reject denial and self-justification and all the reasons why you can't. And start being honest. God, I'm not strong enough. I'm weak. So I come before you because I need you to fight the battle on my behalf. You need to trust in the Lord for the promises that God's put upon your life. Find those 3,000 promises and dig them out in Scripture. Find the ones that are connected to wherever you are in your season. And then you stand on those promises until God does it in your life. I'm going to tell you, if you're broken, he can heal you. I preached a message last week on that. It's come to heal the brokenhearted. If you're not healed and you've been sitting in these pews for a long time, then my friend, you better stand on those promises and you better come to God and you better go over and over and say, God, I need you to heal me. I need you to touch me. I need you to fix my heart. I need you to take the brokenness of my past and I lay it before you and I can't do it. I need you to do it, God. Surrender your life to Christ. In your mind, build an altar. An altar of praise, an altar of worship, and then lay yourself on that altar and say, God, I belong to you. Your will, not my will. You know, a lot of people want to possess the promises by proclaiming their will. I stand on the promises because I want this, that, or the other. And Jesus said it this way. When you're done praying your way, you end your prayer by saying, Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done, O God. I lay myself on an altar and say, Your will, God. You know, we're good at apostolic doing those three, those three things, I would think. But here's where we usually stop. You see, it's in the presence of God where God wants you to start doing some real soul-searching. What are the giants in your life that have held you back? You see, it's in his presence that he begins to reveal the things to you. I, I remember one time as, uh, as I was praying and God revealed some things very specific in my life that he wanted me to work on. And it was like eye-opening. In fact, it was so, it was so uh, you know, just um, <laughs> almost comical that I started laughing and I 
because God showed me a picture of myself as an animal that wasn't very flattering. And I started laughing and I said, God, is this truly what's in me? Is this truly what's in me? What is that source of brokenness? What is the thing that keeps you going back from the brink of Jordan and running into the wilderness? What is that? What is it that keeps making you make bad decisions or keeps making you react bad to life or, or, or keep uh, uh, constantly in a habit of unhealthy things until you never really get a hold of the promise of God? You're just constantly wandering around in a circle. And, and we step there and we, and, 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 and we try to, uh, we blame others, we blame the pastor, we blame the, pre the, the, the preachers, we blame the leadership, we blame uh, you know, our brothers and sisters, we blame the church, we blame the apostolic movement, we blame the God, we blame the world we're living, we blame our parents, our job, our friends, our husband, our wife, whatever, our dog, our cat, we blame the earthworm, whatever we blame, we blame everything except for allowing God to do the inventory in here. Because it's so hard to admit the truth. Maybe I have something to do with it. Maybe it's time to stop hiding. Come out from behind the rocks. Face the giants. My friend, you better make a commitment to follow God's commandments for life. That means I'm not temporarily checking in and saying, I'm going to try this for a little bit, God. No, no, I'm going to follow your words, your commandments, your teachings. And I'm going to follow them for life, trusting the process that as I follow the word of God in my life and I apply the things in my life, that I'm going to be changed and God's going to remove the character defects in me and God's going to fix the internal brokenness and God is going to mold me and shape me like a potter on a potter's wheel and he's going to allow me to become what he's called me to be. I'm going to trust God in those moments of weakness when I can't do it any longer. And I don't want to go to church. And I don't want to see anybody. And I want to hide in darkness. And I want to just watch online and be disconnected from it. I'm going to trust at those moments that God is going to help me just make one step. And then another step. Because I'm not going to stop the process. I'm going to reserve a daily time with God for prayer and Bible studying, self-examination in order to know God on a deeper level. And I'm going to allow God to use me to be salt and light in this generation. That I can be held up and I can live my life as an example through both what I say and what I do. You know, we don't do these things because it requires a lot of strength and a lot of courage. A lot easier just to come to church and rah-rah. Amen, preacher. And leave unchanged. And to truly allow God to do a process inward. I'm going to tell you, I'm a living example of what the word of God does in a person's life. It's the word of God and the spirit of God that changed me. I just followed his word. I just followed his word. My friend, if you're facing addictions and brokenness and hurts, it's not just coming in the house of God that's going to change you. It's being honest about the things that are going on in your life and getting a hold of the process. Like Joshua and saying, I'm going to allow God to do it. Because God said, I can possess promises. Just stand with me. Would you close your eyes for a moment? I'm going to tell you what holds you back. And there's one word. One word. Pride. think we're afraid don't play anything yet I think we're afraid of 
what we might find and what other people might think. Go to Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus starts out by saying, if you really want what I have to offer, you've got to strip that pride away. Come to me broken, poor in spirit, mourning, hungering for me. Tired of watching people that are apostolic, that have the Holy Ghost, that are baptized in the name of Jesus, live broken lives. But I'm going to tell you more than that, God's tired of it. Pride. I was praying this week and why? Why? Pride. Pride. I don't want anyone to know. I'm going to keep it in the darkness. I'm going to keep it in the secret. We started Celebrate Recovery in 2018 in this church and we have struggled to keep this ministry going it's not been what I've envisioned it to be yet it's not been what anybody's envisioned it to be yet and I look at a church of broken people and I, I talk to people and I sometimes ask them why don't you come to celebrate recovery why don't, why don't you get involved in the 12 steps in your life by the way what I just shared with you were the 12 steps they're all biblically based Pride. Pride. I can't sit in a room with people and tell people my brokenness. I'm just not going to come. I'll just stay away from church. I'm not going to come to church and share with people that heard of my yesteryears or that heard of, of the saints, how the, how the church has hurt me or the pastors hurt me. I'm not going to come and talk about my disappointment with God. No. Put the mask on. Shine the suit up. Pretend to be strong apostolic people. Stay home and pretend to be sick because you can't, you can't face the people because you're so, you're so disgusted with where your life is at the moment. I'm tired of that. My friend, you're a sinful, broken person just like me. You have nothing to offer God. But God loves you. Cares about you. He's called you, and he's got an abundant life for you, but you're going to have to put down the things that hold you back. Stop hiding and get real with God. Because what God wants from the apostolic movement is just realness. I heard this statement yesterday, and I, I wrote it down somewhere. And I'm going to end on this, and then once I say this, Sister Michelle, you can start praying or playing. You can pray too, but play. I'm all over my notes. Hold on, let me find it. I even highlighted it. But I skipped right by it because it wasn't the time to give it. I may have to paraphrase. How many notes do you have? Yeah, I know, I know. My word. All right, I'm just going to. I'm going to paraphrase. But I believe it was this. He said, this was a, a doctor talking about brokenness. He said, it's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be okay. Then he added, but it's not okay to stay that way. It's not okay to stay that would you close an eye and would you lift your eyes and would you lift a hand to God right now? I know I'm preaching to someone this morning who's broken and hurting and you've got the call of God on your life. You've got purposes of God that have been revealed to you. God is saying you can possess it. There's been anointing and there's been there's been words of God giving you. There's been moments in prayer room. There's been the power of God on your behalf. And yet you're a broken soul. 
but you've been trying to hide it in your own way because of your own self-identity. But God is saying, won't you come stripped away of everything? Let that identity go. Let the pride go. Let all of the things go and lay yourself down on an altar and say, God, I'm not okay, but I know that you're going to lift me up and you're going to fix me because that's what your promises say you will do. Oh God, I lay myself at this altar. You know what I see? You can play, Michelle. I see broken people that are going to stand up and fight giants. I see broken people that are so afraid right now. Such a small image of self being the catalyst for their generation that draws a line and prays a prayer, preaches a message, gives a word. Lord, speak into you right now. Lord, speak in. Would you let go? Would you run to God? Would you say, enough's enough. I need fixed. I need fixed. These altars are open this morning. It's okay not to be okay. But it's not okay to remain that way. Someone's going to rise up in this church service and possess the promises in their life. Why don't you start the journey this morning? Why don't you start the journey this morning? I'm going after it because he said I can. I'm going to let him mend my heart. I'm going to let him fix the brokenness. I'm going to let him do what only he can do. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. God speaking to you this morning. Oh, would you release everything unto him? Cast your cares down. Would you be like Joshua and say, I'm tired of wandering around the wilderness. I'm ready to go across the Jordan. I want to possess the land. He's in this house. The first giant is in your heart. They say this mountain can't be moved. They say these chains will never break. But they don't know you like we do. There is power.
We'll see.